Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 92 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast developed, made, created by Seekers and for Seekers. Uh, This podcast should be going out around the 1st of December. I just confirmed that in the pause there. It was written in mid-November, where we are still awaiting an official electoral outcome for President of the U.S. In fact, right now, what is this? What's the date now? The 22nd. The 22nd, the Sunday morning, the 22nd, and still nothing. I mean... Still don't have, you know, the official word. I think that comes out, what, December 3rd or something that they have to. I wasn't sure when they. My there's, a, there's a time is, It's around yeah. the 1st of December that they have to. Finalize. Confer- yeah, finalize. Okay. Now, we've read some uh, some encouraging news on the development of, vac- of a vaccine that, by the grace of God, might begin to actually give hope towards an end of the, uh, to this pandemic that has dominated our thoughts and lives for the past nine months or so. Now, as some of you may have. Ben, we too, in the beginning, were somewhat skeptical about the seriousness of this whole thing, but we're now seeing it affect people very close to us in alarming numbers. Perhaps this will lead to a paradigm shift, as it has with me, Mm -hmm. that will allow us to emerge better, smarter, and united on many levels. Yes, and our shout-outs today are to our listeners in Spain. We are glad to have you guys on board. Definitely. You bet you. Spain. And what was the, uh, Australia, didn't you, is it Australia that yes. we're getting a lot of new and listeners? Sweden. Sweden, yes. Mm-hmm. Good to hear. Good, good to, you folks are listening. Okay, our quote this week is from Deepak Chopra, and he, he is a he, right? I don't that is know. A I don't, Deepak. Okay, I, I, I thought mean, so. I, I haven't ever seen him. I didn't I've know only if it was read a per- stuff by him. I didn't know if it was a person or a movement. I okay. <laughs> he says, walk with those who seek the truth, run from those who think they found it. Mm-hmm. I like that. So, in our last episode, our topic was spirituality versus religion. We think it still pretty much comes down to what we've said many times over the course of this podcast. It's a matter of internals and externals. Spirituality is an internal experience, and religion is an external. Uh, This episode, we'd like to expand on a topic that we devoted a couple episodes to earlier this year. They were titled, Exiting the Church. Uh, and I kind of, and let me just put a little thing. The reason I felt like this is because every day I'm running into more and more people. There are more and more conflict in the church mm-hmm. right now, especially after this. And more and more people are becoming disenchanted yes. and walking away. So I thought this was 
probably. Okay, while we spent those episodes more or less discussing the emotions and outright fear involved in deciding to leave the organized church religion, uh, we didn't offer as much as we would like to on the line of actually pointing our listeners in a direction that might help them find their paths of spiritual awakening and discovery. Our reason for doing this is that we reached out to find guidance in our journey, and we discovered that many who were well into this journey were throwing around words and phrases that, while well understood by those who had reached that place, it seemed too foreign for us to grasp. It sounded to us like all the inside Christian lingo and phrases must sound to those who first encountered the organized church. I started to say it was kind of like Christianese on steroids. I mean, it was hard to... I spent so much time like reading blogs because I'm more of a reader than a watcher. I want to listen to it or I want to read it than mm-hmm. watch something. So like they would say a word and I would either have to pause the podcast I was listening to and get out my Google and Google would go, oh, that's what that word means. So now I can go back and listen to that sentence again and see what they're talking about. Right. So that's kind of my thing. I'd like to see us eventually kind of de- help people develop a comfortable path, not tell them, not guide them, not tell them, but just help them, give them some ideas anyway. Right. The truth is to turn away from organized religion where we more or less know what is expected from us in the way of dogma and ritual and walk through the open door of spirituality where there are no rules or expectations, it's a very big decision for anyone to make. We are connecting with and discovering that many folks, just as we all were, are in the various roles of leadership in the in their organization, and this makes that transition or even the decision to make the transition even more difficult. So based on our own personal experience, let us say right now that if you're contemplating making the transition but remaining in the role of leadership, especially in a teaching or a pastoring position, it will create an internal conflict that makes you feel at the very least hypocritical. Mm -hmm. We may even think that we can lead our group or congregation into enlightenment, But our experience has been that the traditions are too deeply ingrained and reinforced by being in the setting of the established brand of the building and the location. And I know that has a that has a spiritual influence on that building, Mm -hmm. that setting. When you walk in there, you've walked into certain conditions, rules and creeds that you don't violate. So that's why you're going to find so much. I know it's your desire, Tabitha, to bring people (laughs) out with you and that's that's good that's a good that's a that's a quality that's that's great but you can't let that you can't build your life on that right no but it is hard because you do want to free people once you've experienced that freedom you just feel like you should be able to lasso like 10 at a time and pull them out (laughs) and go let me show you how pretty it is out here yeah is it me again? It is you. Well, I just thought I read three. Maybe I was just so close to ruin. <laughs> I thought I, Tracy was talking. Okay, when we started this podcast and released our first episode in January of 2019, we were all still involved in the organized church and all, talking about us three around this table, uh, all pretty much had leadership roles. We didn't exit the organized church until about August of 2019. So for the first eight months or so of our podcast, we were still doing the balancing act, and we know what that's like, mm-hmm. uh, pursuing personal spirituality and maintaining a presence in the organized church. Now, we mention this because we sort of have a documented path. You can go through the podcast, we and we can. have a documented yes. path uh, uh, to the place we are now. And while we may use this as a general example, the transition will be different, and I've lost my page, will be different for each of us. 
If you are a product of the organized church, it is likely that your move towards spirituality will begin with allowing yourself to question many, if not all, the things you thought you knew about God in the Bible. And I will say for me, mine even went back to just saying, okay, do I believe there yeah. is a God? Yeah. And I had to start there and work my way And forward. that's a good place to start. Yeah. Do I believe it because I truly believe it or because it's been ingrained in me? But but we, as we said in the first episode, that's the difference in, or in the episode, not first, last episode. Right. Uh, that's the difference in spirituality and religion is that spirituality, we have this inkling. It's this feeling that there's something bigger than us. Yes. And that's where it all starts. And that's how it has to start. Religion tells us what that is and tells mm-hmm. us that you, this is what it is. And this is what you need to believe yeah. about that. So the most significant first step that some never seem to quite get over is accepting that the Bible is not the sum of God. In fact, that phrase is repeated in the opening statement of every episode, and it was the basis for our first episode. And keep in mind, we were still active leaders in the organization when we made this bold statement, especially you pastoring a church. So before we go any farther... If we were raised and indoctrinated by the organized church, regardless of the brand we were affiliated with, this flies in the face of our most fundamental traditions and dogmas. Mm -hmm. As nervous as we were recording our first podcast, absolutely, if you haven't listened to (laughs) it, we still encourage you to revisit the content of that first episode. But there is one particular quote from the text of the Gospel of John that will help you in taking that initial step. The passage is the very last verse in the Gospel of John. It's John chapter 21, verse 25, and it reads, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Now, this single phrase that John chose to use to conclude his gospel account speaks volumes. Uh, If you're like we've been, uh, it doesn't get much time on the uh, spotlight in organized religion because of what it clearly says. John stated, without any question in his mind, that we don't have a great deal of the story. He indicated that we, in fact, have very little of the story. Now, this is our basis for making the claim that the Bible is not the sum of God. Uh, not the sum of God. John didn't just imply it. He said it outright. Mm -hmm. If we will meditate on this statement, we may come to the conclusion that if the whole world couldn't contain the books it would take to document all that Jesus said and did in his short earthly ministry, how could a collection of works of 66 books and about 40 authors possibly claim to be a detailed account of everything God has ever done or is doing at the present time, or will do in the future. And this is sort of like you're talking about, Ted. This is sort of going back to your basis. This is, is going back to what you're building on. Sometimes when we're building the structure of uh, spiritual freedom, we forgot we forget where we came from. Mm-hmm. This is my criticism with a lot of the uh, maybe the uh, Facebook pages or podcasts mm-hmm. that are that are going you know going on, and th- they 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 it doesn't seem like they built. It's just like they jump, they, you know, they're jumping in the middle of something, and, mm-hmm. and, and I have no idea where they are. I don't yeah, have any idea. I have that and, and I think too. it's important for all of us to go back. And that's, so that's what mm-hmm. we built the podcast on. That's what my spiritual walk has been built on. When I read this statement of John and actually read it and said, wow, this guy is saying, you don't have hardly any of the story. Mm-hmm. 
And I love that. That's one of the um, Eckhart Tolle, whose names I can actually remember now. Um, if you listen to our last episode, how to struggle there. So one of the things that he says is we have to stop looking at everything that we read and everything that we see around us and calling it by a name. Because typically when you read something you've read over and over again, you say, oh, this is this story that Jesus told. This, this is, is the this. Sermon on the Mount. This yes. is the, yeah, we title it. And get he said, it. as soon as you give something a title, you don't see it anymore. He said, it's the same thing when you walk outside and you look and you see trees. He said, your brain automatically goes, oh, those are trees and ignores them. Yeah. He said, you have to stop and go, wow, look at the bark. Look at the needles look at this is a pine tree this tree is this tall you have to force yourself to see and it's the same when we're reading something you have to stop and you have to go okay this isn't just the sermon on the mount that i'm reading i am going to just sit down and read these words for what they are and see what happens and that's in itself sometimes a very hard it thing is. to well, do. It takes a lot I of focus. I want to be honest with you. I, t- I made a mention in the last episode about how that we'll put the narrative that maybe the gospel writer, and he mm-hmm. put his own opinion, Jesus said this because of this or this, and then that already slants the, mm-hmm. it already takes away from any other interpretation of what Jesus might have been saying. Well, and you know, and, and I read a a thing it was a blog on Facebook I couldn't sleep last night and I was just kind of scrolling through but you hear a story like you were talking about and this one was about Mary and Martha Mm -hmm. and it gave me I won't go into it because it was really long but it gave me a completely different interpretation of something I had never considered coming from that story and I was like you know and that's my problem is I hear it and I remember what I've been taught to believe that that story's about. Even something as simple as the little titles that they break many yes break the yeah. type in and they put this under and they condense this under you know they put it under another maybe they'll break in the middle of the chapter some of you may have these bibles and it'll give you a title of what that part's about oh that's already slanted your mind it has it is that has already made your mind that's that's actually and then if you're using a study bible you've got pretty well a single person's opinion mm-hmm. if you're using that study bible you're, you're thinking you're broadening and you may be in some ways but if i know people they'll get a study bible oh, this is the only study bible i use <laughs> and this you know and then we're all in that concept anyway back to that idea that remember let's don't forget where we are yeah back bible's not the son of god and john said it clearly john said that they didn't record an imp of what jesus did so an example of that that we use to support john's claim and ours is that the first five chapters of the book of genesis By its own statements, it covers a period of about 1,500 years of Earth time. Approximately 3,000 words are used in our English translation to cover this period of 1,500 years. This breaks down to about two words per year. I mean, if you were going to sum up your life's actions and thoughts using only two words per year, does it seem possible that it would be a detailed account of your life? No. My my life, 60 years, would be about one paragraph. Mm-hmm. Can you define no. yourself 60 years of life on earth in one paragraph? No. And keep in mind that we treat those first five chapters of the book of Genesis as though they are a detailed account of all of God's dealings with humanity for the first 1,500 years. <laughs> okay. 
these two points laid side by side, talking about John. Mm-hmm. Remember John's statement? Mm-hmm. These two points laid side by side is sufficient evidence that we have very limit, a very limited narrative concerning the big scheme of things. John, who lived and walked with Jesus for about three years, says it would be impossible to record everything Jesus said and did in that brief period of time. Yet, by dogma and tradition, we are expected to believe that a single ancient work is the sum of all that our Creator God has ever done or ever will do. Uh, we call this the God-in-the-box syndrome. It is actually a product of the human ego, a false confidence and security that we can take a single ancient work and accurately define and predict the Almighty. And with that, we'll pause for part two. Okay, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it may seem like we are digressing backwards since our point on the Bible has been well established and was the topic of our very first podcast. Our own experience, however, has taught us that this journey of turning from religion to spirituality progresses at a very different rate in different people. And since we are so eager to discover and learn new things along this journey, we forget what it's like for those who are just now being introduced to the concept. I keep Dad and Tracen in check because I move three steps forward and two steps back all the time. <laughs> Much like the evangelical Christian movement has done, we tend to create our own language and conceptual phrases that are very foreign to someone who is at the very first steps of their journey. And we think it's important to say at this point that we are not stating that the Bible has no value in our journey. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We maintain the position that the Bible is a very useful tool. But if it's the only tool in our toolbox, as the evangelical Christian religion claims it should be, then we're limiting God and our spiritual development to the confines of a single source. Mm -hmm. So let's discuss why we think there's been such an effort to elevate this collection of works. And we've talked about this many times, but we're just trying to recap here and, 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 and get back on our foundation. So let's discuss why we think there's been such an effort to elevate this collection of works to stat, talking about the Bible, to the status of divine, and therefore the sum of all that the divine entails. Uh, We've concluded that this whole effort was to bring the entire fragmented Jesus movement, which I think that's what Jesus meant for it to be, Mm -hmm. this fragmented Jesus movement that existed in the first few centuries A.D. under the control of a single group, united under a single banner and a creed. It was the establishment of the Roman church. And like it or not, friends, every organized Christian movement today is a direct product of that controlling effort. Yes. So how are we to use the collection of works that we know as the Bible as a tool for enlightenment without the dogma and control of organized religion? We found a simple rule. Acknowledge the humanity through which the Bible was written and acknowledge the influence that humanity has had on it ever since. In a short statement, the divine is in the Bible, but we must learn to see the humanity, and then we may discover the divine. The people through whom the texts only made the claim that they were divinely inspired. Yeah, through which the text came. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. They never made a claim of them of they themselves being divine. Most of us today have operated under divine inspiration, yet we never claimed that everything we thought and said was to be interpreted <laughs> or declared divine. Perhaps the best way to say it is those people 
who, by tradition, we are told were the contributors of the text, were real people living in a real time, dealing with real human frailties and desires, and they were relating their personal experience as they perceived it. Mm -hmm. Their perception of God was relevant to the religious, political, economic, and social environment of their own day. The divine inspiration they operated under did not separate them from their own humanity. In fact, their own humanity is reflected in their perception of who God was and what the Almighty was doing in their age. So let's step back. Let's regroup our thoughts back to our original statements that got us to this point. We began by using John's closing statements to his gospel account. He stated that, based on his personal observance as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that most of what the Master said and did was never recorded. John's claim is that it was too much to be contained in any library, no matter how vast. This should tell us that this book that has been elevated to being all we need to know about God is indeed not a complete narrative or portrait of the nature of the Most High. That's that's our argument. Yes. Mm-hmm. We then pointed to the book of Genesis and how that so few details were written about such vast periods of human history and the divine's interaction with humanity that it's summed up at about two words for each year of the period of time it covers. If John's claim of the three-year period he was associated with the master is legitimate, then what are we to make of the brief summary of the first five chapters of Genesis? Yet in spite of these clear statements and indicators, those who claim the Bible to be divine in itself and therefore is the sum of the divine are not averted from their misdirected patronage. So this may be a good time to point out another discrepancy in this unwarranted attempt to deny the humanity through which the text clearly came to us. It is the contorted and inconsistent image of the divine that we get when we try to combine all the fragmented perceptions of the Most High into a single perceivable image. This is where we are forced to choose our approach to the Bible as a whole. If we are to insist that the Bible itself is divine and came to us in a strict divine fashion, that eliminated the influences of the humanity through which it came, then our perception of the image of God is that of an unpredictable, moody, supreme power that constantly changes in how he deals and interacts with humanity. I mean, guys. Is that a true statement? You feel like that's a true statement? Oh, yeah, because he's as likely to open up a hole in the world and let you fall down in it as he is to invite you into his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A true seeker is troubled by the double standard and inconsistent character of the divine one is forced to embrace if we are to remove the humanity from what was written about God and make the whole collection divine. The most glaring of these contradictions is, why does the most powerful force in the universe need to direct one group of his created humanity to attack and kill another group of his created humanity and simultaneously issue a decree not to kill? Hmm. Let's simplify it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's simplify it. If God wants a person to die, why would he need to send me or anyone else to kill that person or group of people? And why would he direct me to do that when it is in direct conflict with a rule divinely issued for me to live my life by? Does this give the person or group who subscribes to the whole book being divine an opportunity to apply God's wrath and his mercy 
wherever the person or group finds it convenient. I think it's you going have... on all around us every day. Yes, it, it is. is. Just pick exactly and choose. Mm-hmm. Pick and choose what you want to. If you want to be angry, pick something that allows you to be angry. Yes. If you want to be condemning and judgmental, pick something out of there. And you can, and you can all under this fragmented perception of who God is. If you're going to make the whole Bible divine, we talked about wasn't it in the last episode or episode before? Then, if we're going to put everything on equal ground with what Jesus did, mm-hmm. mm, that's a uh, <laughs> that's that's where all of our confusion and conflicts yes. come yeah. from. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with part three. All right, and we're back with part three of episode 92 of God Beyond the Bible. As you probably discovered and is clearly apparent in this episode, the path from religion to spirituality is paved with difficult questions. In fact, it may at first seem as though it is more about asking the questions than discovering the answers, Tabby. If we are repulsed by the thought of genuinely contemplating these questions, like questioning the divinity of the Bible, then we're probably not at the point of spiritual awakening. If we push through the fear that dogma and tradition has ingrained in us and honestly approach these questions, then we've taken that first difficult step. And the thing of it is, I don't think we're doing that. We're not, none of the intention of this podcast is if people are happy and content and doing what, we're only trying to speak to the people that are growing discontent. Yeah, and disenchanted yeah. with the organizer. We're not trying to pull anybody. We're not trying to take our message and we need to get our message to all these Christians and get them out of it. That's not We just what want this people to know they're not alone. There's a path. There I is a path. Even, I will even go as far as if you are listening to this podcast and it makes you extremely angry and upset and you disagree with what we're saying, it's okay to turn it off. I mean, if it's yeah. just not Come for back you, if you have yeah. that inkling later. Yeah. A, okay. We considered. Uh, John's statement about many of the things Jesus did having never been recorded. And if they had, there wouldn't be sufficient library space to contain it. And we pointed out how few uh, uh, out how few words were dedicated to the first 1,500 years of humanity in the first five chapters of Genesis. Now, let's consider another thought. If the Bible is the sum of God, all that he has ever done or ever intends to do, we must then conclude that he has been silent for the last 2,000 years. Or we must conclude that if he has had anything significant to relate to humanity and he used a member of humanity to deliver the message. Like he always does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was already doomed to obscurity because there's no avenue for it to be included in the text for the leaders or participants of the organized church to access it. I mean, is that a fair assessment yes. of the situation? Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Right, right. You can't say the Bible's all we need and then say, well, God's still speaking. Mm-hmm. And if someone does come forward and claim to be speaking or writing by divine inspiration and it doesn't align with the dogma of the organized church's interpretation of the Bible, it's automatically labeled heresy or the babblings of a spiritually or possibly mentally unstable person. And the driving force behind the editing and condensing of the text chosen to make up the Bible has been one of exclusion, not inclusion. Mm -hmm. At every turn, nothing new was ever introduced for consideration of inclusion. It's always been to edit or exclude something that was already known to exist. And the main method of exclusion has been to cast doubt on the authenticity of the text as a reason to exclude it. 
While admittedly, the authorship of almost one-third of the Old Testament cannot be confirmed, and we were told only by tradition who the author was, not by documentation. I'm going to throw something in right here. I don't know if you guys know this. You guys all know, we all know the story of the woman uh, that was caught in the act of adultery. Mm-hmm. And she was stoned. But most of us don't know that that was never in the original text. Yes. And, and I know people are going to jump up and down and scream when you say, just do your own research and find out. It was it didn't appear until a couple of hundred years into, you know, the second century or something is when did this when this text appeared. Did you ever find out what the purpose was? Like, did they suddenly say, oh, wait, no, we found this part or. I, I don't really know. I'm only curious. I'm only making this. To... I'm only making this statement for this reason. But yet I'm back to the Gospel uh-huh. of Thomas. Yet we say the Gospel of Thomas can't be accepted because it wasn't discovered until sometime in the second century. Yeah, and then we have things like the Book of Second <laughs> Peter, where most scholars feel confident that Peter did not didn't write have anything Second to do, Peter. That right. he didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, in fact, if you look at it, I think it's it in Jude. It's almost written. And it's definitely of, written by the same. A I lot mean, of scholars believe that Jude wrote Second Peter and passed it off, put Peter's name on it, so, so that would, more people would read would it. Read it. Yeah. Am I five? You are. So we got to ask the question. We ended with the thought that that you know God hasn't done anything in two thousand years. If mm-hmm. we're gonna, if the Bible's a sum, if that's right. it. If that's it, then we have no other guidelines. If everybody, everything I read right now from the Christian community, the Bible is your guide. It's the mm-hmm. only guide you need. Okay. So is God silent? Is that the divine plan to leave humanity with a conflicting image of who he is and what he wants from us? Or perhaps should we ask, has this whole modern superstructure of organized religion really, is it really just a house of cards? That if you question or shake the foundation on which it is anchored, that is the Bible, mm-hmm. it all collapses. It is of our opinion that herein lies the fatal flaw. Jesus is supposed to be the foundation that the Christian faith is based on. But instead, this collection of ancient stories, writings, and texts have been edited, condensed, and substituted for the foundation on which the organized church has chosen to build upon. Was this the message the master was trying to convey when he gave us the illustration of the two houses, one constructed on the sand and the other on the rock? Was the Apostle Paul echoing the warning when he wrote that there is no other foundation to be laid except for the one laid by Jesus Christ? And you know, I really hadn't put a lot of thought into that until it was phrased that way. Uh huh. So are we witnessing what happens when we try to take a spiritual concept and turn it into a physical existence? When asked if he was a king, Jesus clearly told Pilate that he was a king, but that his kingdom was of a spiritual nature and not a physical one that could be recognized by the world. And have we as a modern organized evangelical church taken a path that has diminished the spiritual to nothing more than a brick and mortar organization that it bases its operations on other tangible modders, mo- models <laughs> such as big business and government? And I'm and, seeing that more and more all the time. I just yeah. told a guy that yesterday. I said it's because we've, we've, we're, 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 the church is like a little government of its own. Yes. And there's a hierarchy, the people at the top that 
the money flows too, and flow, and we'll trickle some of that back down. If there's a need, mm-hmm. we we'll we'll take and care we'll of the make, needs. It's become a social. It's become we'll the very the thing decisions. that many of these Christian people socialism. Yes. Oh my goodness, you are right. <laughs> and it is a it's a perfect portrayal. That's like an epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I'm sure I'll get some backlash out of that. Sorry, Christian friends, if I if you're still in the church, I'm not trying to. to I'm just saying, man, step back and be realistic. Just step back from it a little bit and look at it, Try not from the yourself. inside. Stop looking at it from the inside out and step back and Try look at it from the outside. Try to look at it objectively. In. Yeah. Okay. Once we step back and question the legitimacy of declaring a single collection of contradictory narratives and experiences to be divine. The rest of the structure of the physical organized Christian religion quickly develops cracks and inevitably crumbles and falls. It is our belief that the reason so many have already come out and openly questioned the religious system of our day is because there is still a place for divine inspiration and direction in our world. We who are participating in this transition by exposing those flaws must proceed very carefully. And I can't caution this enough. Folks, when you are spiritually enlightened, don't wage a full-out attack on no. what the church is. Because all you're going to do is drive people right back into. Well, we can't You're going to buy fear. They're going to they're they're be afraid, and they're going to go right back into the security, even if they're thinking about it and they're starting to develop these. You don't, just as, don't make the same mistake the Christian evangelical movement has exactly. made. The Christian evangelical movement has started out by first offending you and telling you how sorry you are and how terrible you are, and you're going to hell, and you're not fit, you're just, mm. you're not fit for humanity, you're not fit for anything. But let me show you how much God loves you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to tell you about the good. See how we got it a hold of. I'm already offended. Yeah, and when you and come to me with that approach, so so as you, and we I'm wonder just why challenging we have you. Mental health issues yeah, if you grow, if you are in growth spiritually and you have made this step out, don't spend your life attacking mm-hmm. what folks are still Remember doing. Where you came yeah, from. try. Don't Remember forget. Yeah, don't path. forget where you came from. Yeah. This caution is warranted because anytime there's a movement that liberates and attracts large numbers of people, there are always those who will figure out how those masses can be organized under a common banner and create a hierarchy that extracts money and power from that group. If you think about it, this is what happened to those who followed Jesus. He came and liberated them from the (laughs) physical and spiritual bondage of Judaism, only for his liberating movement to be hijacked by self-serving and greedy men in a mere two centuries. So fellow seekers, as we see it, the first step to spiritual liberation is to allow ourselves to deconstruct the centuries-old concept that the Bible is a divine work, as though every word of it is in divine language, and acknowledge what the ancient work actually claims of itself. It is a narrative of people through time who sought to know the divine and they related their experience to us through their own humanity. And that is beautiful. I mean, to have those experiences, just as we have pointed out here today. And as John says, it is in no why it it is in no way way to be considered a complete or authoritative commentary on who God is or what he has done, is doing, or will do for those who seek to know him in spirit and in truth. And with that said, until next time, may God's unconditional grace, peace, and love be on in and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible.
Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.